0: If we haven't met before, my name is Dave, and uh, I'm excited to be able to share uh, with you a little bit uh, this morning. We're actually uh, closing up our Ignite series. Uh, Ignite has been our theme uh, for the year this year. We're just kind of looking for God to start new passions uh, within our life, uh, as well as use us to impact His kingdom. And so we've been looking at different times in Scripture where we see fire. Uh, And so today is our last one. We're going to look at Daniel 3. It'll be on the screen but if you've got a Bible and you want to pull it up there or on your phone uh, you can do that as well. And really what we're going to see today is a trial by fire Um, and then also the challenge of incompatibility. I recently uh, got a new computer and so I was in the process of transferring programs from the old computer to the new computer and uh, all of a sudden I realized that a lot of the programs I had spent a lot of money on are incompatible with the new computer. And I'm like, oh, man, like this stinks. Like There's a bunch of Bible software that I bought years ago, and I'm like, I don't want to have to buy it again. I'm basically buying the same thing just so it could work with the new computer. Good old Apple always changing everything on you, so you have to buy extra things every time you get a new device. And so like I did what I normally do uh, when something like that happens. I got obsessive, and like, I went into the Google forums, and I'm just like, literally for like three or four days, God even provided a uh, CD reader that I needed almost miraculously to do it. Uh, but I got it working without having to spend anything else. So I was like, yes, I solved that incompatibility. And that's what we often try to do, right? When we face a tension where something's just not lining up, we all, how do I fix this? And uh, those of you that have young kids, you know about incompatibilities with sleep schedules, right? There's, you know, there's an adult sleep schedule and there's a kid's sleep schedule. Ask me why yesterday morning at 5:30 in the morning, my son came running down the stairs like the house was on fire. I'm like, come on, dude, it's Saturday It's 530. We could be sleeping. And I guarantee you tomorrow morning when it's six o'clock and I got to get him out of bed, he ain't going to want to do it. Like, like, Come on, man. Where was that? And so we see those tensions. Maybe another with those with older kids, you know, maybe there's how you look at life and you want your kids to make certain decisions and they're making other decisions and there's incompatibility. Perhaps in our homes, right, how, how we each view money and how to spend or save, whatever the case, there could be incompatibility there. Uh, maybe in our workplace or our schools or whatever the case may be, we're like, man, just the culture of this place is not what I want to be. And we, we kind of we feel that tension in us. In, in you know, when I was in high school, right around this time of year, Valentine's Day, uh, they did something called the compatibility test as a fundraiser. I don't know if my sister remembers it. She's smiling, so I'm assuming she remembers this. And uh, you had to answer a bunch of questions, and based upon that, they were going to tell you who you were compatible with in the school. So everybody's hoping, you know, you got the people that you like, and you're hoping to get them. And of course, you get nobody uh, that, that you were interested in. But that didn't stop people, right? They're like, I don't care that the the good old test, this was like online dating before there was online dating, I guess, right? And it was like the worst $2 I ever spent and it didn't didn't do nothing for me, right? But no one was on my list that I wanted to be on my list, but that didn't stop me from trying to make it happen, right? And so like, I'm going to resolve that incompatibility and that's us as humans. Incompatibility breeds discomfort in our life and then we want to do whatever we can to kind of solve it. And so today we're going to go look at this area of our life because if we're going to have God ignite our lives this year, if God's going to put new passions in our life, there's going to be incompatibilities. And I'm not necessarily talking about, you know, a relationship compatibility with, you know, online dating or anything like that or computer programs. Like, we get that. But there's going to be incompatibilities with walking the way that God has called us to walk and then also rubbing shoulders with the world and the culture as it is now. And we're going to have a choice to make at those moments. What am I going to do when I face that tension when the world is saying, live your life this way or do this or that, and God's calling me to something completely different. Listen to scripture from First Peter chapter 2. Peter says this, he says, dear friends, I urge you as far- foreigners in exile, some translations will say aliens, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. And so Peter's reminding his audience like, you don't belong to this world. You're a foreigner to this world. You're an exile in this world. And that doesn't mean that we we don't care about this world or the people in it. That can't be the case. We need to bring the kingdom of God to this world. But we got to know that in its current makeup, this world will not satisfy us. And many times there's going to be a bumping together. There's going to be an incompatibility between what God's calling us to do and what this world is calling us to do. And in those moments, I suggest we face a trial by fire. Hopefully, not literally, right? As we're going to see in the text today. But we do know There are believers in other parts of the world that because of their faith, they are facing physical persecution uh, against them in in that case. That's probably not the case for us for where we live in our part of the world, but what are we going to do? Will we try to relieve the discomfort, fix the incompatibility, or will we stand for the Lord and continue to walk in the ways of the Lord and potentially face the fire, so to speak? And so we're going to look at Daniel 3 today, and there's going to be three things that we're going to see. First, we're going to see incompatibility is found in what we worship. Second, we'll see that incompatibility can lead to suffering. And then lastly, we'll talk about how the Lord is our deliverer. And so just some highlights from the book of Daniel today. Daniel chapter 3 verse 1 says this, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide and set it up on the plain of Dora in the province of Babylon. Just to give us some context, you may remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about Elijah and how the spiritual climate of Israel was a mess at that time. It's only deteriorated more. Uh, this is a little further on down in the timeline. Uh, to the point that Babylon has conquered Israel, or at least the southern kingdom of Judah, uh, and taken people captive back to Babylon. They would look for the youngest and the brightest uh, among among the Jewish people, and they would take them back and put them in service of the government. And I want you to think about that for a minute. I I don't know about each of your story here, but I've basically lived in New Jersey for my entire life within like a 45-minute radius, right? I haven't gone that far other than a few years of college in Pennsylvania and I don't want to go back to Pennsylvania so I I want to stay in New Jersey it's all I know it don't matter high cost of living I get it but this is what I know this is this is what I love and I can't imagine being taken from here willingly much less forcibly to somewhere else having to learn new customs and new ways like I don't think I can live in the south it moves too slow right Like, like it's just not for me right and if you've ever gone to a different culture you'll see that things operate differently when I was in high school, our youth pastor took us on, on a mission trip to another country. And uh, the missionary came up to me and a few of the other guys. We were probably about 16 or 17 at the time. And he said, you have to shave your beards. Now, that was very generous that he called them beards because it was just patches at, at different spots. Uh, but the missionary was explaining to us, and I still don't understand it, but that in that culture... Uh, if you were patchy like if you had a nice beard it was okay but if you had patchy that was like offensive to people there And he's like you know you're gonna go and try to tell him about Jesus and you're looking all scraggly I was like I don't know man I think I look good I've been working on this beard yeah. for nine months you know <laughs> so I reluctantly shaved it I haven't shaved it since in the kind of protest of that moment and so like, we understand that you know different cultures are different in those kinds of things the young people in Daniel this is not just about how they dress or, or what their facial hair was if you go back in Daniel chapter 1, you see the, 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 the story of when they're, they're asked to eat meat that's potentially been sacrificed to idols, essentially worshiping another god. And so what are these guys supposed to do? Like they grew up serving the Lord, serving God, living in Jerusalem. As far as they know, there's no going back to Jerusalem. Like they're never going home. They don't know probably where most of their, their families are. And so are we just going to assimilate into this world as we know it? Or are we going to live as exiles in this place of Babylon? Or we're gonna live as aliens there, and, and and that's kind of the parallels to us as well. And so at this point, Daniel chapter three, Nebuchadnezzar builds this statue of gold, and it, it's measured in the cubits. Some say that this is roughly like 90 feet. Now, for me as a baseball fan, that's home, that's home to first, right? That's every base, 90 feet. But if you can imagine 90 feet, I'm just estimating here, probably from this banner here to the back room. I, I don't know. What are we talking, 20 feet, uh, 25 feet? So you're talking three to four times the size of that of a statue. Uh, that he builds out of gold. Um, and, and we don't know what the statue is of. The text doesn't tell us. Some say it's maybe of himself, his god, Bel. Um, some say maybe he would honor his father. Uh, but Nebuchadnezzar kind of has a dedication. and He invites all the, the province officials to come and celebrate this. And this would include a lot of those people that were taken from their homeland. And we read this in Daniel 3, 4 to 6. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you're commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So we kind of see this right at the onset here, like this is not just like, oh, we're having a little ribbon cutting ceremony. We're going to eat some cake afterwards. and It's going to be a nice thing. No, this is a call to worship. And if it's not obeyed, trial by fire now for 99% of the people that were present that day the incompatibility is no incompatibility at all in that culture adding one or more god on to serve or worshiping the king of that moment was no big deal just you worship your regular god and you you throw that in as well but again for these jewish young people they're going to have in their mind the text you know no other gods before me and don't worship any image this is what's running their mind what what did they do And 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 also, just it's important for us to note that probably the people would have been stressed, like, oh, you still want to worship Yahweh? You still want to worship the Lord? Like, they would have been okay with that. Just don't neglect these gods that we're going to set up as well. And so, hopefully, we can see some connections to our to our world today. A lot of times, we're asked to bow down to other gods as well. Yeah, sure, serve the Lord. That's good. No problem with that. Do your church thing. Do your Jesus thing. That's all great. But make sure you could get as much wealth as possible because that's really the good life. Or, you know, serve the Lord, but make sure you get noticed because that will really be the good life. Or serve the Lord and, you know, listen, it don't matter what steps you have to take. You rise to the top, you know, achievement Group is the good life or finding that right person to complete me is the good life. Or perhaps a big one that I think in our culture, your own happiness is the good life. And hear me clear, I'm not saying it's wrong to be happy. You know, some of you will be happy with the result of the Super Bowl tonight. Some will, some will not. We'll see how that all plays out. Will's not here today, but he's the only 49ers fan I know. So uh, we'll, see. we'll see if he's happy today. Um, but, but I have found in, in, in my interactions with others, most people are not stressed about Jesus and you worshiping Jesus as long as you'll still worship the other things that make you blend in with the rest of the world. And even on that thought of happiness, I actually had a friend text me this week, and she was telling me about a conversation that she was having with somebody else. And she said, "You know, a friend of mine said to me, "Hey, why is sin wrong if it makes me happy?" And you begin to think about it. We we'll use our happiness as the measure of whether something is right or wrong. This is maybe one of the gods that we have set up in our life. And the reality for sin in our life is it's really not a behavior issue it's a worship issue it's a worship issue our culture will tell us like hey you you worship these things and it'll be good and i want to kind of explain that a little more you know sometimes we think of sin as like i should have done this i shouldn't have done that and we we eliminate it down to an action but i would say that's ultimately the fruit of what we're worshiping in our life if we think back right to the beginning of scripture adam and eve it's really a worship issue say i don't believe god's command i think this is going to be better for me so I'm you know, exalting myself, what I think is right, and so I will eat. And if we think about areas of our life, the times where, where we engage in sin, it's often a worship issue. I, I think this is better. It's going to be what I want and what I need. Maybe we see this in our lives. Maybe you have people in your life and you see people that, that have toxic behaviors in how they speak or how they act or whatever the case may be. And you could look at that behavior and be like, oh, look at their behavior. But the reality is they're, they're worshiping something underneath that that's producing that in their life and we are no different. We're no different than that. You know, we could look at the culture and say, yeah, the culture lives for their happiness and those things, but we're no different. Again, is it wrong to be happy? No, it's not wrong to be happy, but that cannot be the standard of our measure, and so incompatibility is often found in what we worship. We have to examine what we worship or who or what we'll worship, and so the second thing I want us to note is that incompatibility can bring us to moments of suffering, and I want to say can. It's not always that way, But odds are, the longer we try to walk with the Lord in this world, we're going to run into those tension moments. And and as a whole, and I'll kind of explain this a little more as we go on, and kind of referring to the American modern day church here, I think our theology of suffering is very weak. And we'll kind of talk about that a little more, myself included in that. Daniel chapter 3, 7 to 12 says this, therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, that zither keeps getting mentioned. I got to find out what that is. The lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you've set up. So a couple of things that kind of stand out to me from this portion of the text. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego actually showed up. Like they probably knew what they were being invited to. They still went. They didn't bow down, but they still showed up. And so it tells me this, our answer to the tensions we face when we get these incompatibilities, sometimes we could go and we could run and hide. Like, okay, I just don't want nothing to do with the world. I'm only going to stay with believers. Like I'm never going to engage beyond that. That's probably not the answer because God has called us to reach this world. And so we have to look like where we can show up. Maybe that person that we think is the most toxic person is the person we need to show up with. Maybe that's the place that God is calling us. To, hey, go have a meal with them. Go help them out in some way. Go serve them. Maybe, maybe the neighbor that we can't stand, like that's what God's calling us. That's the place for us to show up. Maybe our workplace, we feel like, man, my workplace feels like a godless place. Well, we talked last week about the spirit of God being in us. We bring the spirit into that place. So are we showing up with that kind of intentionality? And so these guys were uniquely positioned. They're in the kingdom. They're going to face these incompatibilities, but they're going to show up. And when we do show up, we have to know those incompatibilities will be noticed. And the reality is we should actually want this. And I'll be honest and say, many times I don't. Because I want to blend in. I don't want anybody to say this or that about me, right? But yet the scriptures call us to be a kingdom of priests, to put God on display. And so we should stand out. We should have moments where we're uncomfortable, not for our own glory, but so that we can point others back to who God is. Again, I come back to this thought that we have a weak theology of suffering. We're not even talking about physical suffering or persecution for Jesus, but we just don't like it when we're uncomfortable, right? And we shy away from that. And so we need to begin to grow in this area. Maybe we could take it even a step further. What's our attitude towards the culture? I get the negative things of the culture, right? We don't have to look far around our world to kind of see where it's not serving the Lord and what that looks like. But we could be people who rail against it and that's all we do and we're this loud voice oh this is horrible this world is horrible! and all these things or we could be people hey i'm going to show up and see where i can honor god in this not not condoning the culture not accepting the culture not saying that what they're doing is right but 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 if i'm just going to sit in the corner angry about the culture and just yell about it all the time but i'm not going to actually put god on display and look to point people to christ then i think i'm missing the heart of god in this and yeah that, that might lead to some challenges It might lead to some negative responses. Look at how Nebuchadnezzar responds uh, in, in verse 13. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you don't serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? So Nebuchadnezzar's response is very clear. Like he's filled with rage. Almost reading that, it almost seems like he didn't see this, like these guys not bow down. So he's like giving them this other opportunity there uh, in this. But just because Nebuchadnezzar's response is one filled with rage, it doesn't mean that that's going to be the world's response every time. Like We might get a response. People might be upset with us following Jesus and those kind of things. I get that. I'm sure, I'm sure you've experienced that before. But I, I think sometimes we think that will always be the response. As many of you know, I, I substitute uh, teach in the area where I live. And uh, a lot of times that leads to a lot of interesting conversations with uh, actual real teachers uh, and, and other students and things of that nature. And the common question I'll get, they'll say, oh, so are you trying to become a teacher? Is that why you're doing this? I'm like, no, I don't want to be a teacher at all. Uh, and it usually launches into a conversation uh, where I'm able to share that I'm, I'm actually a pastor and, and, and then that usually has a wide variety of responses. Uh, there's one guy uh, that I see now that whenever he sees me, will walk by in the hallway and I'll say, oh, good morning. And I say, hey, I just came from worshiping the devil. And then he'll keep walking. <laughs> I don't think he's being serious. He's usually laughing while he's saying he's trying to get underneath my skin or whatever the case uh, may be. I'm going to wear him down uh, over the years. We're going to we're going to get there eventually. Right, but that could be a response. Others, they were like, "Oh, so you're part of church?" You know, like you get that response. But then others have been like, "That's kind of interesting. I never met anybody that's a pastor." And you, you begin to have conversation uh, with them. Others have shared about pain that they've gone through as the result of being sometimes in a community, a church community that maybe wasn't healthy, and, and how that's affected them spiritually, and, and and you walk through. So there's a wide range of responses. I imagine you experience the same. It's not because I'm a pastor, right? Like that, that happens uh, to all of us, and so. Um, the response really should unphase us. You know, even as we sang that song, like, and we talked about keeping our eyes on the Lord. You know, when these incompatibilities come up, whether people are filled with rage, it shouldn't bother me. Whether they're excited, like, great, that's a good thing. But my response is, you know what? I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus through this all. My job is to continually rep- uh, point to Jesus, and then I'll let the Holy Spirit speak to their hearts. And one last note on this portion of the text before we move on. Nebuchadnezzar is very confident in his own power here. He's he's like, what God can rescue you from me? I mean, he's a powerful guy. You're building 90 foot statues and everybody's bowing down to it. I'm going to assume you got some pretty decent power. Um, And he's like, no one's going to be able to save you from me. And if you think about that, in a way, that's a message that our culture often gives. And, And maybe in a slightly different packaging, it'd be, hey, if you don't have this thing, it will ruin you. Nebuchadnezzar, like you don't have this thing, you're going to die for us. If you don't get the wealth that everybody else gets, it's going to ruin you. At least that's what our culture will say. If you don't get the accolades, if you don't get that attention, it's going to ruin you. That's what we'll hear. And so it's very similar. All right, let's continue reading the text. Daniel chapter 3, 16, 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, Your Majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. And these guys show us something. Maybe when there is those hostile moments, they basically say we don't need to defend ourselves. And, and, and I'm all for apologetics. Apologetics, if you're not familiar with, this, kind of like a defense of the faith. And I, I love those conversations. You know, how do we know that Jesus actually rose from the dead? And those, like, I love those conversations. And those are good conversations. But sometimes those conversations might not be helpful if somebody's intentionally trying to be competitive. You know, Jesus said that we should not cast uh, uh, pearls before swine or pearls before pigs. In other words, if, th- if it's not a, a humble and honest dialogue, it might not even be worth it. So these guys could have been like, Nebuchadnezzar, you're no God at all. Don't you realize mean, they could have went into all that, but they're like, he's not going to receive that with where he is right now. It's not even worth it. We don't even have to defend ourselves that we're going to live and serve the one true God. And I think sometimes we could get into this mode where we feel like we got to defend God or we got to defend ourselves. And again, there's a time and place for those conversations, but winning an argument should never be our goal. Like if we walk away and we're like, yeah, I showed them who the true God is today. Like, like we, we've missed it in that sense. Right. Uh, And so, so really they say like, we don't have to defend ourselves. We're going to keep our eyes on the Lord. And they say, that we know you made your claim that like you, you know you'll destroy us and all those kinds of things but our God is able to deliver us but even if he doesn't and I think that's the part we want to focus in for our, our remaining time this morning even if God does not deliver in the way that I'm expecting him to deliver while well, I continue to walk with him or I'll say you know what this tension this incompatibility is too much I can't handle it now remember these guys they're, they're facing death and I've said a few times that I think our the- theology of suffering is often weak, um, and maybe we wouldn't say it this way. But I think sometimes we think, well, because I follow Christ or because I do the things that Christ wants me to do, I shouldn't face suffering. And, and, and again, we might not say it this way, but I think sometimes our actions reveal this. I've seen in my own life, and I've seen I heard other people say this countless times. Like when we have a problem in our life, or a challenge, or any type of suffering all of a sudden we look at, I better start doing the right thing so that it gets fixed. Like, oh man, my life's been a mess recently. I need to start reading the Bible. Or I'm facing this tension. I, I, I need to go to church. Or right, you know what? This is going on. I need to stop and insert whatever sin we're saying. I, I need to stop that sin. And, and honestly, I think that's a false gospel. It's not that those things are bad. Like, I'm glad you're here at church today. <laughs> it's great. Let's read the scripture. Let's avoid sin. All that's good. But if the motivation is Hey, I'm gonna do these things so that God will take care of me and God will fix all the problems I have, and you know, in my, and my and and my finances will be good if I do this, or 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 my, my relationships will be good. Like, like that's really a false gospel. That's really a gospel on behavior modification. I'll do the right thing and then God will reward me on that. The reality is the gospel is completely different. The gospel is actually despite our disobedience, God saves us and God rescues us. And so, as followers of Jesus, we should expect suffering. We should expect challenges. Listen to a couple of scriptures. They're, they're all going to be on one slide here of Jesus' words from Luke and the gospel of John. Luke 14, it says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them. He said, if anyone comes after me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. You, we read that, we're like, Whoa, that that's heavy. Now, is Jesus literally telling us we've got to start hating our family? No, but I think the idea here is that none of that can be above who he is in our life. And then it continues. Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciples. Others say, you know, that we have to take up our cross and deny ourselves. Again, there's this idea that, that following Jesus is not always going to be easy and pleasant. And he says this. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it everyone who sees it will ridicule you saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish and so jesus basically says count the cost if you want to follow me because it's not going to be easy count the cost because it's going to be hard there's another scripture it's not up there uh, where jesus says you know foxes have dens and birds have nests but the son of man has no place to lay his head it's not going to be easy it's not going to be comfortable following jesus Later in John 16, he says, I've told you these things in me, you may have peace in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And we love the second half of that verse. And yes, we should, but it doesn't negate the first half. We're going to face trouble. There's going to be hard moments. What's our theology of suffering? Earlier in that chapter, he tells the original disciples this, they'll put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. And we know from church history, the original disciples, the 12, all of them faced brutal deaths. maybe the exception of John, but he had his own uh, things that he went through as well. And so if we think about, it, we often don't think like we're often like, oh, serve Jesus. Everything's going to be great. Yes, serving Jesus is the greatest decision that we can make in our life, but it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean there's going to be times of suffering and uncomfort. And so, so many times we say, well, I'll just do the right things and get it all together. No, that, that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. Does God deliver us? Yes. But would we take the passion and the, the, the position of even if God doesn't deliver me in the way I'm expecting, I'm still going to serve him. I'm still going to serve him. Someone might say this. And I say like, well, if that's the case, then why serve God at all? Like, like, like if, that, if that's how it's going to be. If it's going to be hard serving Jesus, then like, what, why do it? Just a couple thoughts on that. First, it's honor. Living right is a way to honor the God who saved us. And I'm sure each of us have had this in our life, right? Someone has gone above and beyond to do something for us in some way to bless us or help us, whatever the case may be. When someone does that, we want to honor them, not to pay them back, but just to, hey, thank you so much. And so living right is a way for us to honor the God who's gone above and beyond for us. The second reason for living right and living God's ways is it gives us an opportunity to show the goodness of God, put God on display as we talked about before. But the third reason why? Is because even in spite of the challenges that it may bring, it's actually the best way to live. Like when God calls us to live a certain way, it's not just because He likes these things, certainly He does, but it's actually the best thing for us. I think one of the worst things we could do is read Scripture as a bunch of rules. And, and like, sure, can we narrow it, like, you know, the Ten Commandments, right? You know, can we narrow it down that way? Sure. But I think that that's really a, a, a poor way for us to view I think rather we should view it as, Here's the wisdom that God is putting in front of us. And sure, within scripture, like we have official wisdom books like Proverbs and those kinds of things. But I would suggest that it's all wisdom literature. It's all here's what's wise and here's what's unwise. And so living God's way is actually wisdom. You know, the scriptures tell us to take care of our family. That's wisdom. The scriptures tell us to Sabbath. It's actually wisdom. They've done studies on this that people who regularly Sabbath actually live longer. So you wanna you wanna keep living? Take a break. Take a Sabbath. Right? It's actually for our benefit. It's wisdom. You know, when we think about a a, a Ten Commandment, maybe we could pull one out like not to covet, and and we could view that as a rule, sure. But if we view that as wisdom. Maybe it's God saying, hey, this 90-foot statue that you're chasing, this thing that you're covering, this thing that you think will satisfy you, actually won't, and it's probably going to lead you to places that you don't want to go, and it's probably going to have ramifications that you don't want to have. And so it's actually wisdom when God tells us those things. And so what's our theology of suffering? Is it an even if? God, I'm praying for deliverance in this situation, and we should never stop praying for deliverance god i'm expecting you to show up and we should never not expect god to show up but even if it doesn't happen on this side of eternity we song about seeing about singing a victory even if i don't see it within my lifetime i will serve you lord even if i'm praying for a victory and the tension between me and the world and the culture continues to grow or that maybe that's happening in my home or with my friends or at work or whatever the case it doesn't matter even if lord I think about how these guys could have responded. They, they could have rationalized this. They could have been like, well, we could actually do more for God alive than dead. So like if we deny God at this moment, that's okay. He'll forgive us. And then we could do more for the Lord alive. Like we could influence Nebuchadnezzar later on. They could have rationalized it. Many times we can, we can do that as well. Now, before we move on and see how God delivers, uh, one thing I want to point out, and, and I've been wrestling actually with this this week. Where's Daniel in all this? like the book is named after him, right? Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, like where's this dude at? Like he's, he's an official, like, and, and I, I started thinking about it, you know, obviously the text doesn't tell us, so I, you know, try to with my own theories, I'm like, well, probably Babylon's a big empire at this point, Daniel could have been in another portion of the empire when this was happening, you know, And and maybe he couldn't, you know, travel's not what it is today, maybe he couldn't be there. Uh, I'm thinking, you know, maybe you know, if Nebuchadnezzar didn't see these guys not bow down, maybe saw nobody saw Daniel not bow down. Like I'm gonna assume that that he made that choice. Um, another part of this uh, could be that you know Daniel is a very high official at this point. He's got Nebuchadnezzar's ears, so to speak. So maybe the astrologers that are bringing this charge, they're like, they go after the small guy first, hoping that they could eventually get after Daniel. I, I don't know. I don't know what the case may be, but I wonder what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thinking. Like they only think of like. Daniel should come stand up for us right now. Like, like we're about to die. Like, is he going to show up? I'm sure there was other Jewish young people who were in the kingdom besides these three as well. Like how come they're not standing with, you know, and those kinds of things. And a lot of times we could face that same tension. We could look at the life of a fellow believer and be like, they seem to have no challenges. And here I am. I'm about to be thrown in the fire. Like everywhere I turn, it seems like there's a challenge and everything seems okay for them. But just let us note a few things just because we don't see it doesn't mean that there's not something going on uh in a fellow believer's life right there's probably pain points that they're carrying too and challenges that they're carrying too but then secondly who are we to tell god who should face what and and the scriptures exhort us that we should celebrate with those who are celebrating and and we should weep with those who weep and so if my brother and sister in the lord is not facing many challenges right now let me come along and celebrate them but if they're hurting let me let me walk with them and say i hurt with you uh as well and so in our final verses let's see the God who's the deliverer. And again, I'm skipping some verses, so go back and read it. He makes the fire seven times hotter uh, than usual. The soldiers that are throwing these guys in, they're dying, the, the scripture tells us, from the heat of the fire. But then it says this, verses 24 to 27. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that were tied up and thrown into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, perfects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on the, of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. And, and so in this instance, God delivers them from the fire. And they, uh, we, we have hindsight. I'm going to guess that most of us probably have heard this scripture before. So like you're not surprised maybe by the outcome, but, but they might have been, right? They, they didn't know that that was going to happen. But would the Lord ignite us in a way to have a faith that says, if you deliver me, great, but if I burn, I still serve you. God can certainly deliver us from a trial, but he can also sustain us day by day. And he could give us the grace to keep walking through that challenge for the next day and the next year and whatever that looks like. And so maybe a question for us today is what is our definition of deliverance? Is deliverance it playing out the way I want with no pain and looking the way I want it to look like? Or is deliverance God getting the glory despite our circumstances? In in the book of Hebrews, there's a chapter that's called the, The Hall of Faith, and it talks about how. All these different individuals lived in faith for what God would do. But then it's got these words that I really don't like at the end of it. It says, and none of them saw it in their lifetime. Something to that effect. I'm paraphrasing. In other words, they lived in faith, but the things they saw were, you know, down the pike, so to speak, and they didn't see it. Would that be us? Lord, I want to see it in my lifetime, sure. I'm gonna believe for that. I'm gonna pray for that. But Lord, even if I don't get to see it. And so I want to invite the worship team to come back as we close today. We're gonna prepare ourselves. For a time of prayer, but as we do, maybe this is a good spot for us to remind ourselves of who the ultimate deliverer is. You know, there's some debate about this passage. Um, Nebuchadnezzar said in, in the verses we read, You know, one like the Son of God. Um, later on, he calls, uh, he calls an angel, he says, Oh, there was an angel in the fire. If you read a little later in, in the chapter, he calls an angel. So, there's this debate. Is, is that Jesus that's there with them in the fire? Is it an angel? Would Nebuchadnezzar have any framework of who Jesus you know, And there's all these ways to go back and forth. The bottom line is this. God was present with them in that moment. And so even for us today, for you, for me, as we walk through the challenges, as we walk through the sufferings, our God is present with us. Our God walks with us. Whether he's removing that or whether it's a moment where He said, I'm just going to sustain you to face another day and then we'll do it again tomorrow, and we'll do it again the day afterwards. He walks with us in that, but if we think about the parallels of this, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faced these incompatibilities, so did Jesus, All right? We think about the temptation of Jesus. Hey, Jesus, bow down to me, the devil says, and, and you'll have the kingdoms of the world. Put the Father to the test. Turn the stone, right? In other words, like, hey, living God's way is not good, Jesus, so, so, so turn from that that, that was a temptation that Jesus faced so he, he he knew those tensions you think about Jesus and many of the religious leaders of today many of those leaders were were out for power and so Jesus often had to face that tension of what it means to truly be a spiritual leader versus what the leaders of the day would do the leaders of the day they would get mad at Jesus because he would spend time among the quote-unquote sinners and so that incompatibility would rise up again but yet Jesus faithfully walked the path of what it means to live for God in each of those moments. He presses on, knowing that the cross is what awaits him. And you know, I assume Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, since they didn't smell like fire, I assume that they didn't feel any pain in what they went through. Just making that assumption. But Jesus did feel the pain of the cross. There was no deliverance for Jesus at the cross, at least in the way that we would expect it. Yet it was necessary, because it was at the cross where Jesus disarmed the powers of evil sin and death were defeated and you know we live in this tension now of God fully redeeming the world and we're like in the now and the not yet but yet Christ is victorious and his victory is our victory and we need to walk in that and I want to encourage you whether you're here today or you're watching with us online the way to walk in Christ's victory is starting by saying who am I going to worship Is it going to be these other 90-foot statues that's being put all around the world? Or is it going to be, you know, I'm going to worship Jesus who won a victory on my behalf. I'm going to worship the God who has delivered me already from sin and from death. And that starts by embracing Jesus. And in a moment, we're going to have to pray. We'd love to pray with you. If you're online, you can put it on the Connect card. We'd love to walk with you through that. But for others of you, I'm going to ask if you would stand. We're going to worship in just a moment. You might say, saying, hey, I've already entrusted my life to Jesus. How do I keep embracing his victory? I'm going to give you four very quick things here. First, would we view our life, whether it's our work, our school, just hanging out with our friends, our homes, would we view that as an opportunity to put God on display? God put these three guys in the Babylonian kingdom so that they could show Nebuchadnezzar who the true God is. Where has God put you and me this week in your community, wherever it is, to put him on display second thing to keep walking in Christ's victory I would say is embrace his grace I want you to think about this if we're to put God on display one of the ways we're to do that is through forgiveness Jesus tells Peter you know 70 times 7 in other words model to the world what this unlimited forgiveness looks like and as we stand here and we think about this incompatibility I know for me I think about the times that I've just blended in with the world I've given in to the incompatibility I didn't live for the Lord. I spoke and acted and talked and did everything the way the world did. I, did. I didn't set apart in any way. In those moments, let's remind ourselves the grace that God wants us to model to others is the same grace that he wants to give to us. And so if we're here today and we feel the weight of this, oh, Lord, I missed it. Okay, let's return to the Lord. Let's receive his grace for those moments. Third way we could put into practice is what's going to be our attitude when we go through suffering? Are we going to be the person who's in the corner, grumpy? mad about everything all the time, hating everything. And I get it. Like, we've all been there. Or Last week, we talked about the Holy Spirit in our life. Or are we going to be people to have this fruit of the Spirit coming up in our life, even when we're in a moment of suffering? Again, putting God on display. We need to ask the Lord to do that. We can't manufacture that on our own. And then our last thing is this. do we start with the small things to prepare for the big things? Like, the odds are tomorrow, like, we're probably not going to have our life in danger Uh, for serving Jesus but there'll be small ways for us to compromise this week in those moments where we hear the voice of the Lord in a small way just say walk in the way of truth and so as we worship together we can worship the one true God there'll be time for prayer maybe saying hey I'm walking through suffering and I need some prayer for that situation we will pray for deliverance let's do that we'll be glad to pray maybe saying hey I need to have a good attitude okay we can pray for that maybe you came in with another need we'd be glad to pray and so we'll have some people available for prayer over on this side of the room and maybe in the back as well uh but we'd be glad to pray with you as we worship together today